counsels will kindly direct their remarks to the bench. I'd be delighted to, sir. Now that I've got something human to talk about. Rights, sir. Human rights. The Bible. The Code of Hammurabi. And of Justinian. Magna Carta. The Constitution of the United States. Fundamental declarations of the Martian colonies. The statutes of Alpha III. Gentlemen. These documents all speak of rights. Rights of the accused to a trial by his peers, to be represented by counsel. The rights of cross-examination. But most importantly, the right to be confronted by the witnesses against him. A right to which my client has been denied. Your Honor, that is ridiculous. We produced the witnesses in court. My learned opponent had the opportunity to see them, cross-examine them. All but one. The most devastating witness against my client is not a human being. It's a machine, an information system, the computer log of the Enterprise. And I ask this court adjourn and reconvene aboard that vessel. I protest, Your Honor. And I repeat, I speak of rights. A machine has none. A man must. My client has the right to face his accuser. And if you do not grant him that right, you have brought us down to the level of the machine. Indeed, you have elevated that machine above us. I ask that my motion be granted. And more than that, gentlemen, in the name of a humanity fading in the shadow of the machine, I demand it. I demand it! Now, Pods Destroy. Hello, and welcome to Whom Pods Destroy, a Star Trek discussion podcast. I am Terry, and I am joined as ever by Derek. Hello. And by Graham. Hello. Hello to you, gents. Uh, yes, we are back for another episode. Uh, but before, before we get on to the meat of the episode itself that we'll be discussing, which is Court Martial, uh, in case you haven't read the show notes, I like to keep this podcast evergreen. But from time to time, if interesting news about Star Trek emerges, then I like to, to talk about it. And the news emerges that J.J. Abrams is returning, not to direct, but to produce yet another Star Trek film, uh, of which we currently know nothing about, probably because they they don't want to tell us, not not because it's super secret. Um, and yeah, I, but I have a feeling that this is this may uh, discharge J.J. Abrams' contracts with Paramount to make Star Trek films. So I'm wondering whether or not this is they're just doing it, commissioning it because they have to, because they've got a contract with J.J. Abrams and Skydance to make a, another film, or because they've got something super duper lined up. And I wanted to canvas your opinions, gents. A general question. This is why I didn't didn't prep you for it before we started recording. What what is your opinion in general of the J.J. Abrams films, the the movies from '09 to, to to beyond? I mean, you know, I mean, they don't have to go into specifics. I know you have feelings about each individual movie, but in general, what is your what, what what's your feeling of them as a as a as a project, um, Derek? I, I thought that they were a, a good sort of up date for a new audience you know when they came out which is you know over 10 years ago i enjoyed them as star trek you know it doesn't deflect from any of the other series because they're in the cinema universe as such and also they're in their own universe that has been well retconned into that i've enjoyed them all to certain degrees i think the first one was brilliant you know uh the second one so so you know there were some bad bits in there and the third one it was enjoyable you know, and uh, I actually did grow to enjoy the actors who played the characters as well. 
you know, and it would be a shame to not see them, uh, some of the you know, actors, uh, playing playing those characters again in the future. Overall, thumbs up from, from me, and I would like to see something more. I, I'm quite intrigued, though. You said that sort of like he, he is producing uh, these rather than directing them. When you said that, I was just wondering, is there any room for the Quentin Tarantino film that has been on and off you know Quentin Tarantino has, has been said, said that he was going to make a certain amount of movies and the only thing that hasn't actually fit you know that he hasn't done is a science fiction uh, adventure series yet into his type of movies that he's done he's done westerns he's done fit war films and so the the science fiction I think is the one that is that he's missing Graham, do you think that this is conceivably vaunted Tarantino outing and, and also a few words on on your view of the of the Kelvin universe, the Kelvin timeline, and that experiment? Um, uh, no, I don't think it's going to be a a Tarantino film. I think it's going to be a J.J. Abrams film that is going to be quite a cookie cutter, just filling the gaps. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it'll be uh, uh, something that is more related to what's been happening on Netflix for the last couple of years, because all of that has happened since the last Star Trek film. Um, as far as the the Kelvin universe is concerned, um, yeah, it's a, a distracting piece of of side canon. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a nice it's it's a a nice thing to watch. It's a it's, uh, but yeah, it sits it sits in in under the Star Trek umbrella if it doesn't sit in the universe. But of course, you know, you if you want it to sit in the universe in some kind of parallel dimensional sort of way, then yes, of course, head cannon is your friend. Well, I mean, I think you're being a touch unkind. I think, uh, if anything, shots have well and truly been fired. But it, it, it's it's actual canon. It's a f- official Star Trek. It happened. It's just a, obviously a different timeline. The thing that occurs to me about the Kelvin universe is it, it is that it is what it has always been. And that is um, a, a, a mechanism for managing a, a franchise that is sits across two different uh, media companies at the time. <laughs> and and that, that is what it is. It, it's it's a it's a it's it's a creative endeavor that was born out of a contractual issue as opposed to uh, anything else. And and. And I suspect, bluntly, it shows in, in, in a lot of areas. I think 09 is a triumph, and anyone who says differently is just simply wrong. Um, I, I think that Into Darkness is a, is, is, is a mistake, an error in judgment, massively. And I think that Beyond, uh, which was directed by Justin Lin, not by J.J. By Abrams, uh, it should be said, I think is, is a, a thoroughly enjoyable romp um, and an authentic Star Trek adventure, albeit, you know, not overly memorable, but I certainly think that those movies are better than most, if not all of the next gen movies, maybe generations, I think is probably a, a genuinely good film from the generations from the, from the, from the next gen lot. Um, and I think that they've done all well. I suspect that what will happen is, is that this movie will probably tie up the Kelvin universe and then it will just simply just go into a, uh, 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 become a footnote in the history of Trek canon, because obviously CBS and Viacom are now the same, uh, people so the kelvin universe doesn't need to exist anymore and i suspect that they may well reconcile the two universes and then we'll just go back to having tedious bi-yearly uh two-part episodes set in the mirror universe so basically it'll go into its own box set yeah absolutely i mean it's been a, it has been a really interesting creative experiment and and it, and i don't wish to cheapen it at all because i think that i think chris pine brought huge amounts of himself 
to the role of Captain Kirk and enhance that character hugely. And the same with uh, with, with Zachary Quinto, who I think we thought was a fantastic Spock. Um, and and I, it would be grievesome to think that we wouldn't see him certainly playing that role again. I, I, I like Carl Urban, but I couldn't help but feel that he was doing an impression of DeForest Kelly rather than bringing anything to the role. But that is not to say that it wasn't an enjoyable. Work. So it's a it's been a great ensemble. Um, and I thought that the, I thought what they did with Uhura and in in promoting uh, Uhura and, and bringing her, making her far more interesting. I think is a is is a laudable thing and 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 one of the highlights of that franchise and, and I'm I'm really glad I'm really glad those movies were made really glad those movies were made, um, but at the same time I'm also quite pleased that you know we, we no longer need the Kelvin universe, um, so yeah I, I'm 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 optimistic about it uh, and optimistic for the franchise in general, but but we should probably stop talking about future Star Trek because. We are concerned with Star Trek of the past, the the distant past. Star Trek episodes that, that are even older than we are. Well, maybe not all of us, but but most of us. <laughs> and, and in, in no, actually, I think uh, I think this episode is older than all of us, isn't it? It is. Yes. Is it? <laughs> Pointing the finger accusingly at me. At the birthday. It is boy. older than me. Yeah. <laughs> It's just about older. It uh, it had the glint of Derek in its eye when it was being made. Um, it's 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 uh, an episode. It's the twentieth episode. Uh, it's an episode from the first season of the original series. It's called Court Martial. Uh, I'm sure that you've seen it, listeners. Uh, if you haven't, then pause, go and watch it, and return, and and then you'll be up to speed. Um, and it's a film uh, like uh, which I've been saying. I said this in the last episode actually, and. We will have to stop saying this, but it is a film with considerable legacy <laughs> um, because it's it's and I didn't realize this, but it's actually the first kind of proper hard reference to Starfleet as an institution in Star Trek. And and we get to see the the hierarchy and the culture of Starfleet command playing out um, in this in this episode. And for me, that makes it a, an, an a very, very important episode because we know how important Starfleet is to this whole, you know, Star Trek thing. Um, but but Graham, I think it's it's probably for me its biggest, uh, 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 it, its most notable quality of it is it's a, it's an attempt to take the courtroom drama and put it into a science fiction setting. Yeah, it allows that lovely TV trope of a courtroom drama and just has it with this in a Star Trek backdrop. Um, whether or not it works is uh, up for debate but courtroom dramas are what they are they're, they're not about justice they're always about injustice aren't they uh interestingly courtroom dramas were actually sort of going out of fashion i think a bit in in the when this episode was were made and in the previous year uh long-standing shows like perry mason and the defenders had both been cancelled uh and uh William Shatner even was on a courtroom drama. That was his first regular show for the people in 1965. And that was cancelled after 13 episodes. So at the time, courtroom dramas weren't big. I mean, they they were very, very familiar to TV viewers, but uh, not perhaps the the cutting edge that that some of the other aspects that that Star Trek had had, uh, adopted. 
Dave, what do you think of what do you think of this whole uh, premise of, of bringing a courtroom drama into a, a science fiction setting? Like, I mean, I suppose the 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 thing is because it's a first season episode; it's relatively it's it's early in the series, although it's late in that season. But Star Trek is not by any way defined as it is. There are some memorable courtroom drama episodes that go on from here, aren't they? I guess I'm thinking of Measure of the Man. It's probably one of my favourites. Yeah, I mean it's. It's a thing that uh, has been used over and over and over again in Star Trek. You know? or, or, I mean, I don't know. Is this a sort of... I suppose if you're a science fiction fan and you only watch science fiction, you know, you come along to a, a programme like this and, then, and they do... Uh, it's like once every season they'll do something similar to this. At least, you know, we've, we've seen it in... I think we've seen it in all of the Star Treks. Um, we've even seen it in Discovery, <laughs> right at the beginning of the series, when we had, uh, um, you know, Michael Burnham sort of like uh, uh, being being accused and you know court-martialed and all that sort of stuff. And I suppose it's become just another way of telling a good story. Uh, you know, this is I, I find I, I found this story very enjoyable, but it is wonky, and it's it's just become. You know, a template that we use over and over again we have in Star Trek to tell a, a very, you know, an interesting story. Uh, I mean, this story here is, is, is a story of revenge uh, as well as uh, a, a story of uh, justice. You know, uh, it, it's, it's quite in- interesting, you know, as we go along. And there are certain things I could pick out in here that uh, are quite relevant to today as well. Revenge, uh, injustice. Um, but also, uh, it, it it talks about the the conflict between humanity and and machine, doesn't it, Graham? It, that, that I I don't know whether that's an overriding theme, but certainly towards the end, it's this this idea of of, of a justice system in which the accused is entitled to face his accuser unless unless that accuser happens to be a you know a computer. That that is a theme that resonates today. I mean, it, it, I, mean I don't. Th- I, th- I think that there's always been this sense. The, the idea of man against mechanization goes back hundreds of years, but the idea of sort of like uh, pre-programmed intelligence judging or finding somebody guilty of a crime. I mean, I think fundamentally that's something that that that, that we can all still relate to to this day. Certainly, and I I think that's part of of my problem with with the episode because I'm I'm not looking at it with 1960s eyes. So mm. uh, by the time uh, Measure of a Man comes out in the, that's got to be late 80s, isn't it? That one, uh, it, we we are starting to to analyse our, our relationship with with computers and, and mechanisation and 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 the the early onset of 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 artificial intelligence even though this is like pre-internet days um so that's handled really well and and quite rightly that episode is one of the 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 best remembered episodes of next generation Uh, with court martial that element of it the 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 man versus machine element is just so brief and you really want them to to explore it, but for a '60s audience, I'm not sure whether or not that would have been you. You could have been lost in like quite deep science fiction concepts when really what you really want to look, see, see is a is a courtroom drama and and a punch up in the engine room. Um, 
And I think that's that, that's basically what you get instead. Uh, but I think from my point of view, um, it, you look at it now and you think you had some really good ideas here. And I know that the script was ripped apart, uh, but it, it seems to spend more time on the less interesting aspects and so precious little time on the really, really good stuff, I think, in this episode. It, it's really surprising how, how for me, the, the, the trial isn't the most dramatic element of the of the of the episode it's not really um where all the drama comes from despite the 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 musical cues that that just keep getting hammered home on (laughs) pretty much every line uh and that really surprised me because i saw the writing credits and i saw um don mankiewicz on there and 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 he's of the the mankiewicz family that's that's all over hollywood um and his um, his writing career was basically in courtroom dramas. He he wrote a, a, a novel called Trial, which was made into a film, which he did the screenplay for, um, and uh, that was that's a, an intriguing courtroom drama. He did another one in the late fifties called uh, I Want to Live as well, both of which uh, garnered um, at, at nom- Oscar nominations for, for for the actors in them. And I Want to Live actually. Um, and Don Mankiewicz uh, an Oscar nomination for the screenplay as well. Uh, so you, you sort of think with that background, you should really have something tight and tense and, and something that, that really make, makes you think because both of those those uh, films had something uh, about them that was that twisted what most people thought of society at the time. A trial was based on on a, a Mexican teenager who was standing accused of the rape and murder of a uh, of a of a white american girl uh and that's all sort of drawn in with this whole thing of um he's he's defended by a a lawyer who is actually uh collecting well is actually a communist who wants the wants the Mexican guy to be sent down and murdered so he can become a martyr. So you've got the actual, the lawyer who's actually in, in the court is, is actually trying to free him where the lawyer's boss is trying to see him sent down. So it, it's all rather intriguing, but you don't get that in, in, in court martial. You don't get that, that lovely sort of like tension of, of what's actually going on here. It, it, it does make you think that there is a conspiracy going on, but you can't really work out what, what, what actually is. And every time it goes in one direction, it seems to, to to end up in a dead end and not go there and draw itself back from it. Yeah, it seems to. Um, it, 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 much of it is based on the fact that it's it's one man's word against the machine. And then when confronted with the so-called facts and evidence, um, the bridge scene in which Kirk is jettisoning the pod and killing his old friend and possible nemesis Ben Finney you know which I is very clumsily done uh, and doesn't hold up at all that sequence I'm afraid feeling was this well there must be something wrong with the computer there must be something but it, it was never it was never really thoroughly and properly sort of like explored and although I I, I think that the way in which Spock realized that there was that the, the where the issue stemmed from by playing chess was was very good and led to a very uh, pleasing exchange between him and McCoy. I, I agree. It, 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 there wasn't a great deal of, of, of tension within there. It was just an awful lot of 
overwhelming evidence against the defendant, plus some quite notable and interesting and rousing speeches, you know, I think work kind of quite well and, uh, and, and you know, delivered particularly Samuel T. Cogley's one is, is very theatrical, uh, as we like to talk about, and, and very uh, speaking to, you know, the virtues of a Western liberal democratic justice system and, and clearly pointing out to the viewers that, that it was the Western liberal democratic traditions that had prevailed in the future. And that this is this is how we did our law uh, back then. And it's OK, guys, we, we won. And, and I thought that these things are, were quite interesting. Uh, Don Mankiewicz also uh, penned the uh, pilot episode of A Man Called Ironside a few years later as well. Um, but I think um, that the plan was that this was going to be a fairly cheap episode and, the, uh, and, and effectively a single set episode. Um, but I, I, I think that um, there'd obviously been some changes and, an, and a rewrite. And actually, it turned out to be quite quite an expensive episode uh, because they commissioned Albert Whitlock to do a to do a, a couple of map paintings, uh, Starbase Eleven. Let's just reflect on on that if we can before we re- return to some of the more serious stuff about this this episode. Not that that isn't serious, but it is a, a, a one i love these map paintings particularly this this one because it's a it's our first glimpse of a proper star base derek and and it's and 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 they are beautifully rendered paintings aren't they oh it's it's lovely i mean i i do have to sort of pull up the idea about it's a star base okay i always thought star bases were actually either sort of like satellites as we see later on um you know we've just basically got a planet based star base so it's it's a planet base it's not a star base well anymore. i mean yeah okay i mean i don't think you'd <laughs> i know a, i know base on a star would you i mean that seems oh well, you know you know at night time maybe <laughs> yeah i mean what when the when the when the star came out that would be you know everyone would get a bit a bit singed but it's it's a, it's a, yeah it's a lovely piece of work that was commissioned. I don't know how much he charged for all of these things. If that was something that pushed up the price, but it is an interesting set. set. I mean, um, uh, sorry, a, a piece of uh, artwork which was a little bit of trivia. It was reused um, in DS9 as a front cover to uh, um, the magazine in um, Beyond the Stars when uh, the, the characters are obviously in the in the golden age of science fiction one of the characters is actually reading the book and it's actually on the front cover of that as a little bit of trivia i found out which and the actual t- uh, one of the titles of the story is actually called court martial written by uh, samuel t uh, cogley oh really <laughs> so it's a little bit, so it's a little bit of a what they call the easter eggs in in ds9 for this so which is quite nice that is uh, beautiful. I didn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't realise that at all. But uh, yeah, it's. it's it is, I mean, I, I like the, the set sets because you've also in the background when you see the uh, through the windows, you can see the rest of the base, and there's a couple of these dip, little sequences. So it looks very different from the Enterprise. You know, even though you know you still have some of the same um, canteen spaces that you see reused over and over again. It does look very different it does feel quite grounded i suppose and it's also the other other little details and that you can see that uh with commodore stone he's in charge of this uh you know star base and they've got all of these uh starships that are coming in and out and being refitted and and so on it feels like part of an organization so that's quite well set up right at the beginning it's great to see the actor who, who uh, uh, you know uh, uh and uh, 
well, he's a Canadian, African Canadian actor playing uh, a man of such authority. And I thought I'd seen him loads and loads of places before because he just looks, you know, the the act, actor Percy Rodriguez is such a, a, a imposing figure, you know, throughout this uh, episode. Graham, that's the that's the uh, one of the hallmarks of this episode is that that, that it's in, it introduces Starfleet Command as a fully formed institution and organization with a with a structure. It's a clearly a, a quasi military in nature, but you know all of the authority figures in this episode, um, or well, not all of them, but most of the authority figures in this episode, so Commodore Stone and the judge and and the jury albeit are men but they are men of different ethnic extractions and um do you think something was trying to be said here do you think this is a kind of this is the kind of progressive message or do you think it's just a coincidence of casting no i think there is definite message there it's um very much what roddenberry was was looking for in that in that first series that first season uh, interesting as, as well going back to uh Mankiewicz's The Trial, the judge in that was an African-American as well, uh, which was a, an aspect that was played upon within that story as well, which for 1955, that's that's pretty, that's like predating this by a decade. Um, yeah, but uh, going back to your point about the map paintings, uh, Terry, yes, beautiful they are. And Starbase 11 obviously come, returns in the, in the Menagerie as well, because that's where, they, where, where that, that's based. Uh, but of course, uh, the, the those lovely matte paintings replaced by CGI in the in in the remastered versions. Yeah, what did you what did, what was your opinion of those? Meh. Mm, I mean, yeah. Well, one of them is is a loving recreation of of of, of the Whitlock original, which is fine. Um, but one is completely new. It's got a lovely planet with with a ring around it and which we see on the ex, uh, on the zoomed away shots which I, I suppose it's a moon i suppose isn't it going around there um also in the remastered bits they've tried to they've they've strengthened the what the the, the window scene haven't they they've, they've, they've given a bit of color to it because in the original version it's very much black and you can just see the lights of the buildings in the background in the in the remastered one you can make out the shapes of the buildings and and, and the lights and and the, and the sky's a bit sort of a purpley color it works on a lot of the scenes but there's quite a few scenes where they've forgotten to do it so like when when they're, when they're looking at close-ups and you can only see a portion of the window it goes back to being the black so but i mean that's if you're being really 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 picky i think the i think the remastering adds a bit of it because at the beginning you see i think the intrepid as well is in shot um, with the two shots giving you the idea of being a busy spaceport and there's there's also an, another scene where you see the um the shuttlecraft going past as well so it gives you that idea that that it's it's a busy spaceport which 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 does help and i think that 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 adds something makes it a, a little bit richer as well so when you say it was a cheap episode it doesn't look cheap at all when you when you look at the at at the way that it's the matte paintings have been used, the set designs, that comes across really well. And, of course, all the, the, the great cast as well it's got in there. It's got some really good people in there who, who, as I said earlier, really do lift this quite clunky episode into something that is actually something that is very, very well remembered. When I watched this episode, I thought, God, they put a lot of stuff into this compared to previous episodes uh, that I've, I've compared it to. And... It's sort of like it does 
as you say, with with our twenty first century eyes watching this, it, it uh, that special effects also lifts this episode up into into my eyes something a bit more special than other episodes, which might be better scripts. Uh, but I'm just wondering, is this one of the most uh, added special effects uh, in in the re- remastered episodes, or do you think there are other ones that uh, that I will be looking forward to watching when when I when we finally get there. <laughs> there, there may well be, but I think this is one of them. I think this this, this probably has more stuff, more screen time that, that that has actually been changed, visibly changed the the the, the most others. Uh, I I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything that, that we've covered so far that that's that's had more really. That was the thing that occurred to me the most about how visually, you know, enhanced this episode is by the, uh, by the, um, I mean, enhanced, I, I don't necessarily mean necessarily in a good way because I share Graham's uh, opinions about the manner of the, um, of the remastered uh, uh, sequences. You know, that said, it was a golden opportunity to expand the universe um, and, and, to, and to flesh out what I'm sure had they had the opportunity to, they would have wanted to have done at the time as well. So I think it's in the best traditions of those, of, of remastering those old Star Trek. It's not doing it for the sake of it. It's gone, actually, look, we can turn this into a busy space so we can flesh out the Star Trek Starfleet universe more so now uh, in a way that they couldn't have done beforehand and and that's completely, completely within the spirit uh, of the episode. But it is ironic that actually this has now become quite a lavish episode to look at when in fact it was intended really to be a very very cheap single set um episode and that that didn't happen in fact i mean it it, it was more than that when it was originally cast because obviously you had kirk's quarters down on the star base as well which presumably had to either be built from scratch or had to be redressed um from an existing set and you had um you know and you had the courtroom itself and then moving back up to the ship it was actually quite quite a quite a complex episode in the end but perhaps we've talked quite a lot on the stuff that's a, a bit clunky about the episode, and we will go back to it because I think we'll talk about the the denouement of the of the episode towards the denouement of this podcast. Um, but let's focus on some of the good stuff, the uh, absolutely fantastic uh, cast that we have here. Obviously, Percy Rodriguez, Commodore Stone, again, very very powerful symbol, having a a, a black man in a position of authority as Kirk's superior officer, of uh, something of a statement. But also, let's just uh, celebrate Elisha Cook and indeed uh, Samuel T. Cogley, uh, attorney at law. Um, uh, Derek, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed um, his, uh, his his first appearance. I, I, I thought that was I thought it brought a, a degree of relief to what was at this point quite a serious and quite a, a, quite a tense storyline. Well, I suppose he plays it a bit like the comic relief in certain ways because you have the eccentric uh um lawyer come into it which again is is a trope which is used in a lot of uh, courtroom dramas you know it, w- whether it's the uh, southern gentleman that comes in or the you know or someone who has a completely different outlook on life and and he he does a good job as a as you know as i'm sure he's a superb character actor i did hear that sort of like he had problems with the script and that, you know, they kept on the, probably that added to it at uh, the difficulty of this where he couldn't remember all the lines. And, and and when you actually look at it later on, you know, you can see that the, the cutaways is probably to help him 
to keep the you know the narrative going. You know, it's when you when you're looking at other people's faces when he's going on about all these different uh, uh, figures from history and so on. Um, yeah, he's enjoyable. Um, and the uh, the you know the actor who played um, the prosecution, um, you know, she's brilliant as well. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, but I did find it a bit funny right at the beginning of her introduction, (laughs) you know, and there's, there's, if you want to look at uh, her story, she's again, she's another of, of, of one of Kirk's old flames. Uh, And surely she shouldn't be actually involved in uh, the prosecution if she's actually uh, one of uh, uh, Kirk's lovers from the, from a previous life. Uh, So that adds a a bit of the the wonkiness to the storyline. Um, and also you have a bit of lechery right at the beginning from uh, McCoy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, which that is, is terrible. That was just shocking to look at. That was, I think, it, I think oh my God. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was, that was, that was very awkward. I'm actually what, a doctor, it, you know. It? all of of my friends look like doctors all of jim's look like you oh no (laughs) put this man on a register straight away Uh, good grief um graham a few words about i would like to talk about joan marshall and a real shore as well and also i'd like to talk a little bit about how this works with captain kirk interestingly but a few words on elijah cook if you will because i'm sure you've got some interesting information about him he is a well-established character actor who i think i mean i don't know whether he's played this kind of role in the past i think he's possibly the best known for his role in the maltese falcon uh, maybe not but he suits that that character trope of the maverick attorney, defence attorney, doesn't he? Yeah, certainly. If this had been made thirty years later, you could probably think of Wallace Shawn might might might, might have take, taken the uh, the oh. role. Uh, there you go. Yeah, but uh, uh, obviously, like a great character actor. I think you you look at his at at, at the list of, of films he's got on there, and and it, it is huge. I think it's like I think he's got something like two hundred credits or something like that. So obviously, someone who 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 was reliable, but if Derek says he, he was struggling with the script, I don't know if that's the, uh, uh, a, a fact that he was ill-prepared or the script was just not very good. Um, I Maybe it's a bit of, a bit of both. Um, but maybe that explains why he is suddenly removed <laughs> with about 10 minutes to go. Um, because he's, he, he's sort of leaves he says i have to go now bye-bye <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and that's it he's gone that's right now because that's it he does you're right because he doesn't return at all does he he says he will return but we never see him come back I and yeah it's almost that. as if he's gone yeah no i'm, I'm done with this i'm, I'm out of here you, you're, you're, i mean you have to think that a man of his skill uh, and craftsmanship and experience should really be able to cope with even some of the more difficult uh, script but apparently you know there's loads of like un, like you know unincluded footage of of stuff that he had to, to read that just didn't make it and i wonder yeah and and it certainly does um uh reduce the episode i mean it lessens the episode unfortunately mm. uh, it does that towards the end the episode goes 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 weird um let, i mean let's just quickly celebrate joe marshall um, a real short it's always difficult 
for uh, female guest star characters in Star Trek uh, of this era because they're always usually really badly treated or really badly portrayed in some respects. But obviously, Ariel Shaw, who apart from anything else, yes, should have recused herself from this trial because of her previous relationship with, with, with Jim Kirk. But maybe that's just not a thing in the 23rd century. Maybe they all feel they're all beyond that now. I know certainly Roddenberry had like, you know, very clear very blokish ideas about sex and open relationships and stuff like that. And maybe he kind of thought, well, you know, it's fine. Everybody's fucking everybody out there. It's not really a problem. Don't worry about it. You know? um, but, uh, but, but she plays an attorney uh, as well, uh, a, a figure of authority uh, and, uh, 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 and, a, and a woman of great skill and character. Um, and I think, it, I think, I think, and I think she, she pulls off what are actually in some cases quite difficult scenes extremely well. And, and 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 the character holds holds her own in this in this episode. Uh, Gents, Derek, what, I think you're next. What do you think? Well, I I, I think that her introduction, apart from the uh, McCoy lechery, uh, later on when we when we see her uh, conversation with uh, Kirk, is brilliant. There's a nice little to throw there until you find out right at the end. You know that the information that she's given him to help him you know it's, it's, it, it, I, I just like that little play it's brilliant and then the little twist right at the end you know I, I'm there to bag you <laughs> Jim you know so I'm your prosecutor I think that was a lovely little sequence there are some she's a brilliant actress yes excellent you know and um, uh, also they, they seem to have spent quite a bit of cash on her because they've given her a couple of different uh, costumes to wear as well. Very flamboyant, very colourful, her introduction. Uh, and then you see her later on with, uh, uh, I suppose, a dress uniform for a, a female officer. You know, uh, if you want to get into uh, Star Trek Minusai, that you, uh, with the really big collar and everything like that, which I don't think you see again, you know. Um, but she's they've obviously put... It looks like that this episode is actually totting up quite a bit of cash for for such a series as as we know that you used to always start uh you know skimping on on, on money and sketch uh, uh, sets and everything um but yeah no she's she, it definitely she's all the way through and and she doesn't disappear right at the end either you know she she stays she stays right to the last moment doesn't she um you know uh, until when when kirk is finally shown to be innocent and we we have the wrap up you know, that's great. Um, Graham, she, uh, uh, um, a few words on, on, on a real shore, if you've got anything further to add, but, but also reflect, reflect on this. I mean, Kirk, actually in earlier episodes of Kirk, of Kirk, in earlier episodes of Star Trek, Kirk was much more of a geek, wasn't he? More of a nerd. I mean, you stack of books with legs. Yeah. This kind of Kirk as Lothario wasn't actually, wasn't actually a thing at the beginning of Star Trek. And, and, and I mean, we'd probably have to think all the way through about this because, I mean, I, I believe that um, this side of paradise, sorry, not this side of paradise, I think surely predates this, but, but where, where he has a, 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 an ex-lover there. But this notion that, that he is, you know, an Othario is, is, that comes relatively late into Star Trek you know, or early, depending on point of view. But it wasn't always thus, was it? So in that respect, it's it's quite an important episode for the character of Kirk, wouldn't you say? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's a very world-building episode anyway, isn't it? I mean, because of the whole Starfleet stuff, the the, the list of starships that's up on the wall, um, even down to like the list of, of 
everyone's service number and rank and uh, and 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 commendations as well. This is all the stuff that was slavishly written down by fans um, over the years when when they were when they were re, uh, being shown on reruns uh, without the benefit of videotape. Um, but there were there, this certainly does build a lot of the whole of um, the Starfleet ethos, doesn't it? Uh, Joan Marshall, who is brilliant in this, uh, she has. Uh, there's actually, a, well, if bloopers can be famous, she has quite quite a famous one that that, that has done the rounds over the years. Uh, the the last the the last scene she has on the bridge, where um, where, where where she kisses Kirk. Uh, in, in the close-up, and I don't know if this is purposeful or not, or whether or not it, I, I think it probably is. But she say it, she asks in, in the blooper, uh, "Would it be okay to kiss the star of a ship captain?" Do you think it would cause a breakdown of discipline if the lowly lieutenant kissed the star of a ship captain? <laughs> I'll send you a link to it, so you can put it in there if you want to have that. <laughs> I, I think I, I saw another blooper with her as well, where she comes in, and she does the high kicks. Oh no, she, well. she, she she's actually sat at the table, and where and it's another actress that's doing do, doing the high kicks, and, and and she and she's like looking at it, bemused. <laughs> it looks like they were having a lot of fun then in this in this episode, do it you know doing it as well as uh, you know. I don't know how long it took to do, but uh, it, it does look like there's a lot of camaraderie ship in the whole thing. Yeah, but I have seen She's the one a, with the, the kissing. She, she was a showgirl, wasn't she? Um, so she probably uh, knows a few high kicks herself. Maybe she was sort of like judging, judging them <laughs> on, on merit. So let, let's just get into the meat of the actual, the 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 setup and and the and the and the and the, the climax. The whole Ben Finney Ben Finney thing. I think for me, it, this is probably the the least interesting element of the episode um but and yet it is the 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 backbone of the story and and i think that ultimately that's why it's not as it's not as strong um as it could be and maybe not as classic as it could be because you're right graham i mean the 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 reason why this episode endures so much is is that yeah it probably was source material for for faster role-playing games during the 1970s isn't it because it just it gives so much it's Mm. like journey to babel in that respect it's just got so much of that world building building going on but i mean i can i'm on board with the idea of uh, a starfleet officer being you know uh, vengeful you know against you know a, a former friend someone who he named his daughter after and um, to the uh, to the point but to the point where i think that they will be willing to you know commit that kind of murder i mean uh, I, it, it, I was not convinced graham at all no by by the motivations of ben finney i'm afraid no it's yeah and this this is Obviously, where it falls down, they, they they make him a nutter. Obviously, they make him crazy. They give him they give him the crazy eyes, uh, and and it's played really well by by Richard Webb as well. He, he, he it is. comes yeah. in and he does that. Uh, uh, it, it is rather odd because he he's got his hair done pretty much sort of an unruly version of 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 Kirk, isn't it? And the fact that we're in identical uniforms as well. It, and, and unfortunately, you know, the fight's coming, you know, you, it, it, it's, it's, it's leading up to it. And, and, and I was just sat there thinking, Oh God, I know what's going to happen now because obviously 
in the 60s, people weren't watching on 50-inch tellies, were they, in HD? They were watching on very small tellies. <laughs> and so when... and But now, going through all of these episodes, I know that when the, when the punch-ups start... The stunt doubles come in, which is fine. I mean, I'm happy enough with that. I know, I know, I know this this works. I mean, they're there to put on a show. You know, the actors are there to act, not to fight. And so, you've got four people all looking the same, <laughs> all in this fight, and you're only seeing. T- <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, whoa! It's good. It's a good job that, that Kurt gets his shirt ripped, so you know which one's him. <laughs> it's, it's, it really does help. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's like could, could, sorry, can the can the can the stunt doubles just go over there, please? Yeah, no, no, a bit further because we we don't want to. This has happened before. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we had to reshoot an entire third act of the previous episode because the stunt double was confused for Kirk, and it, it and uh, yeah, no, I liked Ben Finney's look. It was a sort of like Captain Kirk in lockdown kind of look, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, 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 it was, it was, it was pretty. It was pretty good, but I mean, I also, I th- and now that you mention it, I appreciate the fact that, they, that, that this is there's almost an element of of sliding doors about it, isn't it? Because this is yeah. the, this is the guy who, in all other appearances, is the same as Captain Kirk, but he's made one mistake that's altered, that's changed the course of his life um, forever, irrevocably. Um, and yet, in many, many ways, in terms of appearances, yeah. So there's almost a degree of a, a feeling of it's almost like enemy within, isn't it? That kind of portrait, you know, where where you've got like you've got the two Kirks uh, um, representing the two different aspects of Kirk in a very very simplistic way, and it kind of, I think it kind of vibes similarly to that. Although I appreciate that it's that it's not like that, but um, I, I would like uh, your opinion on the uh, the uncovering uncovering the reveal that that, that Finney. Uh, is not that and I don't mean the whole chess match thing which is a really really clever thing the fact that Spock goes oh hang on a second why don't I just check this chess routine and see whether or not this works and like that that was nice I think we've mentioned that before but I mean I'm talking about on the bridge when they have to beam everybody down to the planet which is a bit of a stretch to me uh, and you know to it, it, just to bring in some additional peril into the episode that I really don't think was necessary at all um with the decaying orbit and stuff like that. I just didn't think that that was necessary. Um, and, and, uh, and, and of course the, the heartbeat thing. Now I appreciate that the device that they used to mask people's heartbeat was a microphone <laughs> I, and, and a very old microphone, I suspect even for the 1960s. Um, but uh, but but I actually like that scene. Uh, um, Derek, could you tell me why I, I'm I'm wrong. Okay, why wrong? Okay, very simple. Uh, besides the re- reverse karaoke microphone, which you know <laughs> is just a, such a faff to go around and and basically cancel everyone's heartbeat. Spot comes along. And goes, okay, we've got one more person on board. I can press a button here. <laughs> and that will remove remove the one that will remove his heartbeat from the sensors. Right? Why didn't I do that for everyone who was actually on the bridge? Or indeed everyone who's on the ship. Oh, the- well, and that way you, you wouldn't have been necessary to have beamed everyone down. I know I'm trashing what I'm supposed to be defending, but I mean Nick I'm, gave- I'm- McCoy something to do, I suppose. But you know, I mean, maybe he should have just he should have just 
popped, you know, did an Elvis Presley impression instead with that microphone, but it was a bit pointless. I think I think the king would have been embarrassed if you'd given him that microphone. He'd say, well, what, 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 thank you very much. I, 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 um, Graham, I, um, I, I think the reason why that's uh, that that sequence works is 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 the sound effect. I think it's the boom, boom it's the heartbeat sound effect that I think works really well. Or, uh, and I think although it's extremely clumsy, the manner with which they arrived at it, that moment when they just got that single heartbeat going on there, I think is a very, very strong, dramatic moment. And I really enjoyed um, Percy Rodriguez, uh, Commodore Stone's reaction to that. And I enjoyed the fact that it was he who sort of like had that moment of revelation as well. So so c- can you can you dig where I'm coming from with this? Uh, yeah, I can. The soundscape is great. And obviously the going round with with, with 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 the mic looking like it's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> it, yeah, it it looks like, like like one of those one of those morning shows where where like like you've got a, a bunch of rubes like 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 say yeah I think you want to get <laughs> you want to be a, be a decent mother. <laughs> it's, it's like McCoy just running around there like holding the microphones of everyone waiting for them to come have their say. I've now got a vision of McCoy as a lecherous. Uh, a morning TV host. <laughs> oh, Kilroy and, Silk and, of his time. Uh, yeah, this this conversation's gone to another place than I had not anticipated at all. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's get there. I, I, the, the, this obviously gives the chance of Kirk, the, the one who's meant to be on trial here. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I'll get rid of the evidence. Don't worry, I'll go on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, that sounds sounds like a good idea. Yeah, you may leave your 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 court martial and go. Yeah, we're gonna. What we'll do is we'll we're gonna move the courtroom to my house, and then I'm just gonna go off around my ship and just do stuff, and then I'm just gonna get kill the key witness or or massively discredit the the key witness. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that it, it falls apart massively as a as a as a courtroom yeah, yeah. drama completely. It stops being a courtroom drama. Uh, but however the 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 uh the ship being saved from 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 the from its de- decaying orbit uh does give the opportunity to show that Uhura doesn't just answer the phone. She can drive the bloody thing as well. So she 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 can do everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I was going to mention that, and I'm glad that you mentioned it too, because yeah. uh, Derek, you picked up on this last uh, in our last episode on Squire Gothos, uh, and it was good to see uh, Uhura driving the ship, albeit for a short while. There's yeah, another episode so. in which she does it as well. I can't remember what it is. I want to say Balance of Terror, but I may be wrong about that. I would say also it shows you that you don't really Scotty. You can just get uh, uh, was it Kirk up the Jeffrey's tube, pull as many wires out as possible and then it's all fixed yeah yeah this is yeah, how i fix it, things <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's, that's that is that is actually a very authentic non-engineering way of fixing stuff <laughs> put it out put it out <laughs> actually that's probably one of the most authentic parts of it of it i mean i mean like, i remember i have this memory isn't it funny how you, how you always keep these memories from from childhood i remember watching this for the umpteenth time and actually watching it with my mum once and the bit where um they have that really bad uh, captain's log supplemental voiceover explaining where Cogley had gone because he'd been written out of the script. And obviously, you know, without being able to say, we've written Cogley out of this story. Um, so he's gone down to get, and, and getting Jamie Finney, the, the daughter, who we haven't really discussed, to be honest with you, 
um, but who played quite an important role in, 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 you know, first of all, underlining the resentment and reinforcing the resentment and the feud between the two people, the two men, which was an important role to take, while at the same time then being more reconciled because perhaps she understood maybe the truth of it. That was never really explored to begin with, whether or not she actually knew or found out that Ben Finney was in fact alive. But then to get him up, get her up onto the ship, even though, again, we didn't see her, was a bit of a scuzzy move. And I remember my mum saying, that's a nasty thing to do. I wouldn't do that. I mean, like putting deliberately putting your daughter in danger. I think, again, I mean, it's got to the point where I think they've, they've reached the final act of this, of this, of this epic story and they've kind of run out of script or the original climax just doesn't tick the boxes that they want. There's not enough peril. There's no fist fight in the engine room. You know, it, 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 it just doesn't have that. It probably just peters out into, you know, an episode of Crown Court or Perry Mason or something like that. And there was a reason why those shows are getting cancelled, I guess. And maybe they just thought, no, we're not doing that and, and, and came up with this thing. And, and it really does, I'm afraid to say, it, um, it, it does, it disappoints the episode. I mean, I still like it and watch it a lot. Uh, but but it is really more for the characters, I think, that I I enjoy this episode. What do, what do you think, guys? Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, the look of the episode is is brilliant. It's lovely. I mean, it, it, there is so much to enjoy about it. And Derek, you're right. The 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 the, the courtroom outfit that that Joan Marshall wears is is brilliant. That's just one of the the finest ones. While while all the guys are there in their like jockey silks. I mean, like she actually gets a, get 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 something decent to wear, but yeah, I like I like the fact that no matter how ridiculous the situations they're in, they carry it off, and, and which is which is always good, isn't it? Really, the, the the fact that if 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 they're there going through through it, then then brilliant. I think for me, the whole episode is summed up by the amount of buttons that are actually on Captain Kirk's chair and what his job actually is. He has three roles: yellow alert, red alert. Jetson Pod. <laughs> that's all he's that's all he's allowed to press, isn't it? Yeah, that just doesn't work, does it, Derek? I mean, like it's just not realistic. It's that, and I, and I, I mean, I don't think it's difficult to judge in in, in through nineteen sixties eyes, as Graham says, it's impossible to look at through nineteen sixties eyes. But like, who has Jetson Pod on their captain's chair, really? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, the whole thing. See, this is it. I enjoyed the episode. I'm, I'm loving it. But now, look, looking at it again with with our eyes here, you can. I can see even more faults in it, and um, it doesn't detract totally from it. But yeah, it, it's it's clunky as 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 anything now, you know. And uh, I I will not be able to get my uh, will not be able to unsee those bits now. So you know. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know. In fairness, James Bond had an ejector seat button on the gear shift of his DB5. So, I mean, it's it's not a complete stretch, I suppose. <laughs> but do you think that they kind of like had a, like a Starfleet equivalent of Q who sort of like was showing Kirk his <laughs> chair? And they said, so here's your red alert, here's your yellow alert, and here is your Jettison port. And Kirk goes, Jettison pod, you're joking. <laughs> when do I have to use that? They probably oh. decommissioned that Jessica pod a uh, uh, after this episode, yeah, you know, they said we really should take that out. <laughs> yeah, take that out. 
Yeah, because I'll get in all all sorts of trouble from now on. I mean, if you I, could have I at least had one. a trip switch on it or something like that. Just some kind of just like because I mean, you could you could slip. Was it all oh, fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and there are three buttons there that obviously do nothing because I haven't got a label. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's daft. Um, it's 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 a it's a it's a daft episode, but it has a wonderful gloss to it, wonderful sheen to it. Wonderful characters, brilliant by play, wonderful world building, um, fantastic message, strong Roddenberry ethics, all the best qualities of Star Trek. But yeah, just not a terribly well put together to Scott. I, I think that's my final word on it. Gents, do you have a final word on this episode? Graham um, doesn't. Derek does. Well, well I, I just want to go back to Percy Rodriguez. I mean, um, he, he's used again uh, by Roddenberry in. Um, a, a, uh, a series that I've mentioned a couple of times, Genesis 2. He's actually in there. And he's uh, in charge of this uh, the new civilization that uh, Dylan Hunt uh, is woken up into. Um, and also, he's also the voice for the movie trailers in Jaws 1, 2, and 3D. Is he really? Yes. See, that's much more interesting than the than than than, than the other sort of like, yeah the failed <laughs> the failed Rosenberry project two point five or whatever it is. Okay, cool. I think I'm going to wrap it up there, fellas. Uh, and uh, and thank you all. Thank you both for your contributions and for this discussion. And and thank you, uh, listeners. I hope that you did enjoy Court Marshall. You should do. It's an enjoyable episode. It's a good episode. But apart from when it's not so good. Um and uh, and it's uh, it, it's it's a a great contribution to the Star Trek canon, uh, and uh, and I hope you enjoyed our our discussion on it. Um, whompodsdestroy.com is where our website is. We have an email address, Garth at whompodsdestroy. I don't usually read this stuff out, do I? Um, and we're also available on, on all major podcast podcast platforms. But let's face it, most of you are working from home now and are probably listening to this on your computer. Uh, so that's absolutely fine. Uh, if you care to share us with your social networks we would be very grateful but if you don't that's fine all good and we'll see you next time for whom potters dry so from myself terry and from derek and from graham it's goodbye goodbye goodbye